We would like to say a special thank you to the women of First Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls for sponsoring this week's episode. And it's the the light, and it's the shining of the light. When and that's the glory. I've, I've always just can't wait for the light to be so bloody bright that you just, <gasps> yeah. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. The Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John have a literal mountaintop experience when they witness Jesus' divinity right in front of them. His face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white, and suddenly, Moses and Elijah appear. Peter didn't want this incredible moment to end, so he offers to make three dwellings for them to stay on the mountaintop, only to have God enter the scene and say, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Sarah Stenson and Dr. Chris Krogan break down the context surrounding this text, including what is the significance Moses and Elijah have? What does it mean to witness Jesus' divinity? and the implications of God telling us who Jesus is. Let's get to it. But first, here's Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 43. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And when he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they encountered the cloud. Then, from the cloud, came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. And now, on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. We have both of our co-directors with us this week, Dr. Chris Krogan and Sarah Stenson. Thanks for being here, both of you. Thank Thank you. you. It's good to be here. So we're in the ninth chapter of Luke, uh, and we're in a story that uh, many would find familiar, Transfiguration. But can we just have a little context, uh, what's happening beforehand, uh, especially within uh, Luke's gospel? Right. So this is verse 28 now, about eight days after these sayings, dot, dot, dot. So the context there is, 
Uh, this is referring back to Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, to which Jesus responds, he'll suffer, be killed, on the third day be raised. And then he has statements about taking up the cross. So it was eight days after all of those events and statements had happened that this text now picks up the story. So we had a, over a full week for them to let the biggest news marinate. Yeah, yeah, to let that marinate for a while. Yeah. yeah. Sit on and then all of a sudden they're headed up a mountain. Yep. Yeah, and it's uh, Peter and John and James. A couple weeks mm-hmm. ago, we had uh, the ordination text with Peter, John, and James uh, being called from their, their vocation as mm-hmm. fishermen. And now uh, the adventure continues. They're central characters, mm-hmm. right? They yeah. dropped everything, and now having dropped everything, they're sitting there with Jesus. So they are constantly, these three have been pointed out as important characters in Luke specifically. Yep. Any particular reason why those three are specifically called out here? I don't, wouldn't be able to tell you textually why. It just Luke seems to have their uh, names at the tip of his pen. I don't mean to be the tripped out millennial here, hmm. but... but <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, as we go into this, it really, like, it sounds like it's an unrealistic... Like, actual tripped out dream because it starts talking and we start getting a hint of this right here. The appearance of his face changed. We start seeing clouds. We start seeing bright white, very, it's very vivid and very visual. I think this gospel reading is, and it doesn't fully make a lot of sense. So hopefully as we're going through this, you can help make a little bit of sense of it. But um, the first thing it says is what I allude to. It says the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he's he's praying on the mountain. This mountain is, and this is where God often encounters. This is like Moses. And so up on a mountain, it's a, it's a holy place. Um, so that's the first thing that happens. Then in praying, you are actually in conversation with God. And so this is why, and while he was praying, all of a sudden God's countenance fell upon him. And so this is part of what's going on. Thus, much like Moses, Moses' face was glowing after being on the mountain and running into God. Mm -hmm. So this is the same kind of imagery here, is you run into God and all sin has been killed. Hmm. So when your sin's killed, you start glowing. Well, it's it's purified, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you, you become something that is not associated with sin. Yeah. So this is, this is an important piece of why this dazzling white, why there's this purity here um, that is something that, yeah, no one can actually comprehend. Which, makes, I, which makes sense because you, we were talking beforehand and we we're saying that, okay, when he's dazzling white, you just said he's removed of all sin Prior to this, we're well into Luke at this point. Jesus had been baptized into sin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my question would have been, well, why would he be appearing dazzling white if he'd been already under the law, baptized into sin? But obviously, if you run into into God, the sin is removed in that moment. But he is God. Right. That's the other piece to hold on to here. With all of it, with his face changed, his clothes became dazzling white. He is God. So that's what Peter, John, and James are witnessing. They're 
they're witnessing divinity, dazzling white. And you're right, he was baptized into sin, and he's about to return to actually fully take on his, our sin in his mm-hmm. flesh. But now, and just so that when we talk about this being baptized into sin as well as taking on sin, he's not committing the acts of. Right. Mm-hmm. So when he's baptized into sin, it's not like, oh, now he's dirty. You know, that all of a sudden he just, what he does is he's going to own sin, our sin, which we'll see will end up getting him bloodied. But that's part of the dazzling white. Now we're going to go from white, absolutely clean, but he does, he, and we'll see this in the right later parts of the text. Not, it's, he's not going to let it stay that way. He's going to actually come down off that mountain. Right. So he's baptized into sin, but he still is sinless. Yeah. Yeah. He right. who knew no sin. Right. That is the sin. most confusing thing. I know we've talked about it a lot, and I know it's supposed to make sense, but that makes absolutely no sense. So when, and you can think of it this way, um, when Jesus takes on the sin of the world, it's also, he also says, pick up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. So that's what he means by this also. So when you think about it is... He is going to suffer the consequence of sin, which is actually taking on somebody else's sin. So you guys in your life will actually suffer because somebody sinned and it won't be your activity. That's literally carrying the cross is to be subject to somebody else's sin and not defend yourself from it, not try to run away from it, not claim, oh, I'm better or it literally is owning their sin. That's what we mean by he was baptized into the sin of the world. He's not, he's not self-preserving from it. So yeah. that's kind of what we mean by he's taking on the sin of the world. Does that help, Kerry? Yeah. Yeah. But that's important, which is why then this is important of this text because he's on the mountain and then he's going to walk down into Jerusalem and own our sin. In the flesh. Mm-hmm. So uh, continuing on to uh, the 30th verse, we suddenly, uh, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah. Um, and maybe it'd be a good time just to say, who's Moses, who's Elijah? Why uh, are they there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So Moses and Elijah, Moses, of course, represents the law. He is kind of the law in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. That's Moses. Elijah is a prophet. So what we have in that moment of Moses and Elijah talking to Christ is the law and the prophets. And everything in the law and the prophets were actually pointing to Christ. We know that was actually the job of the prophet. He's coming. He's coming. The one God promised is coming. And now they're actually talking to Christ because here he is. So the tradition is that Moses wrote the the Pentateuch, yep. which is the, called the law. Mm-hmm. It's not just that he gave you the commandments, but that he wrote. And so what you see in the Pentateuch is the promise of Christ coming out. And so the law and the prophets, remember we said, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming in the Old Testament. That's all the Old Testament says. Well, this is in the law and the prophets. And so that's a promise given. Now Christ is the promise now here. Mm-hmm. And so that's part which is important. He is having a conversation with the law and the prophets. And then as we're going to get to um, a little bit later in a few more verses is 
those two men now disappear. And all right. you have left standing is Christ. There is no more. He's coming. This there. No well, it, in for. in the conversation, in the next sentence, the next verse, we hear what it was they were speaking of, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And it is exactly that. They were speaking of, of Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So they're, they're talking specifically about what it was Jesus came to do. And again, that's what the law and the prophets, so Moses and Elijah and others, were all pointing to all the way through the Old Testament. They're all pointing to exactly now what they're talking about, his departure. And the Greek, by the way, the word is exodus. So it literally is exodus. Mm -hmm. And they knew, Moses and Elijah knew, just as did Christ, what was about to happen. And it is actually finally the fulfillment of the law mm -hmm. and the prophets. And it's about to come to an end now in Christ. So when you say the law, uh, Dr. Krogan, you referred to it as the first five books yep. of scripture. The Torah. The Torah. Is the way. Yeah. Yep. Is that all it means? Or I mean, uh, when you say fulfilled the law, what what do you mean by that? Because we've said that a couple times, but... Right. And so, yeah, so he the promises that are given in the Torah about Christ coming, that's part of the fulfillment, mm -hmm. but it's also the telos, which is the end of it. That is to say, the, the things that are going to restrict us in the Decalogue, that's the commandments now. So we've used two fancy words. We used the Pentateuch, which is five, first five books. We're not Decalogue, supposed to use fancy words. Ten, ten, you know, so we, we want to explain this. The, the Decalogue, which the Decalogue all flows out of the first commandment, which yeah. is, I am the Lord of God, you shall have no other gods. It gets fulfilled in Christ because Christ actually gives you faith in God now, as opposed to faith in your ability to do. Mm. And, is, and he also does... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and He loves His neighbor as Himself. He lays His life down for His enemies, even. That is a fulfillment to the law. Mm -hmm. This could be a totally aside, mm -hmm. but I'm I'm just curious. What do today's Jews think about that kind of language? Obviously, they don't use the New Testament, um, but this kind of that the law and the prophets are fulfilled. Do they think that's just completely absurd? Do they just disregard that so like, you're, altogether? Yep. The first thing we're going to have to qualify is if I speak for the Jews universally, I'm wrong. Because <laughs> there's a number of different ways people are going to see this. But the majority of what we call practicing Jews, people that are from Orthodox to even a Reformed, they're going to still be saying, no, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. They're not going to say he's here. So they're like, they, they can and should point to, yeah, Messiah is coming. But they aren't going to think of Messiah like Christ, which is what stunned the Apostle Paul. His Messiah was not, in their mind, going to suffer death. He's going to come back and bring a reign that makes them full Israel. And so that's a whole other way of understanding it. And it's going to be, this is the King of David and all that kind of stuff. So it's not going to be this curse that we are talking about, um, that Christ is going to curse the law. No, he's going to make the law available to all people and the world will be a better place because the Messiah will come and make universal the Torah on all nations. This mm -hmm. is a whole other way of, of going about it. So. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so continuing on, in verse 32, again, it continues 
with the description, and it says that Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And it continues, I mean, it continues on. But um, first of all, what was, when it says that they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him, first of all, my first question, were they all kind of still amplified with light or was it mainly just Jesus? Because I feel like it was all of them because of what's to come in the next verses. But maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't say specifically that um, Moses and Elijah were uh, faces had changed or were dazzling white. That, as I'm reading it, is specific to Jesus. One of the things here, though, on they saw his glory, and glory is up there in verse 31 as well. The Greek word there is doxa. And what that means specifically is to manifest a divine quality or to manifest God. So they are, in verse 31, what and now verse 32, what Peter, John, and James are seeing is the glory, Jesus' glory, and that is actually him, his manifestation. He is manifesting God. He is God. That's what they're seeing, which is, by the way, why his face changed. His clothes are dazzling white. This is all um, God. And to experience God in glory, and this is an important part that we're we have to recognize, you know, you sit there and say, there's Moses and didn't he die and Elijah? And, right. And are we, you know, so the disciples are witnessing an event that literally is outside the law. They are witnessing an eternal manifestation right there on the, on the mountain. Because, and this is God's glory, is God's glory is eternity, not something bound in this earth and time, which is why it's this overwhelming, like, whoa, you are literally have heaven here on earth kind of situation mm-hmm. right now with these guys because they are in the new creation form, which is a whole nother glory. So you just can, you know, this is that glimpse into heaven kind of thing. And there's no law here. It's not anything that you could comprehend. So when you see God's glory, this is, it's just like it's overwhelming. Um, my One of my favorite songs is uh the one that um at the very end oh no i've lost it well i have to probably edit this out <laughs> um yeah. who's the author no we're gonna keep no, this it's, going it's a, it's what a, movie it's a hymn, uh, oh it's a hymn okay it's oh. a hymn at the very end and it's um the last it's oh day full of grace hmm. and oh, at the very last yes. stanza and it's the the light and it's the shining of the light when and that's the glory I've, I've always just can't wait for the light to be so bloody bright that you just <gasps> yeah oh my goodness krogan you've made it's, me all like reminiscing up now cool, but I, I mean, love that song you, did you find the verses adam on the the last stanza of a day full of grace yeah um and with joy we, we depart for fatherland where god our father is dwelling we're ready for his mansion stand where heaven with praise is swelling and there we shall walk in endless light exactly. with blessed ones his praise forth t- telling. That's hmm. the kind of thing that's happening here with Elijah and Elisha. Hmm. I mean, with Moses. Moses and Elijah and the glory. That endless light, which is kind of like. And that's, wow. that's really, it's hard to talk about because 
even our human language is bound by law, right. you know, right. like our sense of time is bound by law because time is divided into yep. even increments, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Like the law of light, <laughs> like exactly. right. speed of light is like this specific formula. Language mm-hmm. has its own rules to it. It's so like there's, it's, you can't even like truly comprehend what the heck this manifestation outside the law mm-hmm. I mean, the only way you could say that is overwhelming. Exactly. There's not actual human language to describe it. But it does actually help explain verse 33 when Peter says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because that sense of you don't want this to end. Capture the... The moment. Don't let it go. Mm -hmm. Don't make me leave. Don't change this. this. a mountaintop experience. Absolutely. Do they realize, do those three realize that they're in the midst of a mountaintop experience with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? Well, right there, um, I, it says, not knowing what he just proposed. Yeah. Right. You know, so kind of, but not. So they couldn't hear. That means they couldn't hear what Moses, Elijah, and Jesus had been talking <coughs> about. In the midst they of a mountaintop yet. dwelling, do you need to mm-hmm. hear? Yeah. Oh, I guess well, they, 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 the this is actually key, Kiri, right key, there. It's sight versus hearing. Because there's, there's so far we're hearing lots of verbs having to do with sight. They saw his glory, not knowing what he said. In other words, they had not heard the conversation that Jesus was having with Moses and Elijah. So but, P- Peter proposes this possibility, and all yeah. of a sudden, what shows up? God, God. <laughs> puts a cloud over this, so uh-huh. you can't capture it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, the so, so light Peter's goes like, out. okay, let's. <laughs> Wait a second, where'd it go? <laughs> All human plans are foiled. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but and it's overshadowed them, and they were terrified. And so this is, again, encountering the glory of God is not... I mean, for a moment, it was like, this is cool, but no, this is scary. Mm-hmm. But I, okay, so here's one of my... I like this Greek word. It's overshadowed. So a cloud came and overshadowed them. The Greek word is episkiazo, which, which is the overshadow. It's used in the New Testament as God's overshadowing presence. So it's it's accurate to say overshadowed, but it's God's overshadowing presence, which always brings about his plan or his will. And that's exactly what's happening now. God's will actually is to be merciful, which is what I think I, the power of having Moses and Elijah, and now finally Jesus here, because it's so easy for people to lose sight of the mercy of God all the way through the Old Testament. People think of the Old Testament as, oh, that's the mean God, the wrathful God, all those horrible things happen. The rules God. We get, yeah, we get all those laws and who can read through Leviticus and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Jesus is all the way through the Old Testament. And specifically, it's just blah, the... blah, blah, Leviticus. I do, I 100% blah, 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 Leviticus. I am blah, 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 Leviticus. My mother-in-law blah, reads blah, through blah. Leviticus every single year, so... <laughs> oh, blah, 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 Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> but God's mercy is what it's so easy to lose sight of, and that is the will of God, finally, is to be merciful, which is this overshadowing his presence here with... Peter, John, and James. But then losing their ability to have their eyes on it, yep. it became terrified. Yep. So that's well, the key, and too. And then, Go ahead. as God tends to do when one is terrified when encountering God, then from the cloud Aww. came <laughs> a voice <laughs> that said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. 
So this, of course, echoes back to Jesus' baptism, uh, where God speaks to Jesus directly in that moment of his baptism. You are my son, my beloved. Mm -hmm. With you, I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. Now we get an echo of that, but he's not simply speaking to Jesus here. He's actually speaking to Peter, John, and James, the ones who are now hearing God. We've moved from sight to hearing. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, he's telling them who Jesus is. My son, my chosen, listen to him. Which now he's saying to us as well, mm -hmm. listen to him. And don't, don't watch him. Yeah. Right. Listen to don't him. Don't rely on the comes eyes. comes through hearing, not through sight. Mm -hmm. Sight, it'll kill you. So now we're going to sustain you here in this time where you're still stuck in the law that is on this earth, which is going to be hearing a promise, not because when we see something, we will start to assess it, be self-conscious of it, judge it. When you hear something, it actually functions on you. Mm -hmm. Well, is that why after it finished, after the voice finished, it says that Jesus was alone? Because at that point in time, it was only listen to him. You don't have to listen to the law and the prophets because they were always foreshadowing about him. Mm -hmm. Now, Here he is. stands alone, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. I'm alone. Listen to me. Yep. And they kept silent. And in the... Why did they always do that? And in those days... Well, they told have to... no one. Luke has to say, in those days, told no one, because the fact that it's now written... In these Gospels, now Luke, they told someone because this is how we know about it's it. Written. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So there's always the kind of the, um, yeah, in those days, they told no one. And the reason for that, and sometimes this is referred to as the messianic secret, but the reason is because Jesus' mission, his ministry, what he had come to do, had not yet been accomplished. So... After Jesus' death and resurrection, then all these things they had seen and experienced could be told, and then they were told, actually, by the apostles. So, the, you know, the, something about the transfiguration that I think is really important is, is we like things that are bright and shiny and new, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but Jesus actually isn't here to give us a glory or bright and shiny and new. He's actually here to enter us back into this old world. So mm -hmm. they... They can't make a tabernacle where it's going to be comfortable, which is one of the dwellings. That's three dwellings, tabernacles, which is a place of comfort, right? Nope. You're not <laughs> going to be in a place on the mountain of comfort, which is, you know, let's go backpacking and get away from this world. Nope. You're going to be sent back into the world to deal with the world and everything. You're freed to do that, but you end up dealing with sin, which is what Jesus, so Jesus fascinatingly has these beautiful white clothes. And when he's hanging on the cross, what's left? Nothing. Death. Death. He's even stripped of the glory, which is one of the things. So, And there's, this is the end of Epiphany. Epiphany is bookended by, this is my son, at the beginning with baptism, now at the... And so there's this bookend, and God chose him to now go in and start the process that we end up in Lent, which is taking on the sin of the world. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Sarah and Dr. Krogan for teaching us that when God says, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him, he's actually speaking to us. God is echoing what he said to Jesus at his baptism. 
This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. But now he's telling us who Jesus is. He's God's son, his chosen. Listen to him. And when you hear this in your ears, it actually functions on you in that very moment. Luther House of Studies' mission is to strengthen Lutheran leadership and ministries for the proclamation of the gospel. We wouldn't be able to serve current and future ministry professionals, as well as members of the church, without the generous support of people just like you. If you or your congregation is interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, please send our co-director, Sarah Stenson, an email at sstenson at augie.edu. That's S-S-T-E-N-S-O-N at A-U-G-I-E dot E-D-U. You can find her email in the show notes or find more information about supporting Luther House of Study at lutherhouseofstudy.org. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, God has told you who Jesus is. We'll see you next time on Scripture First. Scripture First.